It's certainly a, a privilege for me to have an opportunity to share with you this morning. Over the past weeks, uh, Pastor Wade has been preaching a uh, series of sermons entitled Fall on Your Knees. Uh, it's centered around uh, the uh, virgin birth of Jesus Christ, uh, the Word become flesh. And uh, this past Sunday, he preached on the love of God. And so we see the incarnation as a demonstration of the love of God, the, the love that he has for you and me. For it's in the, the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, putting on the robe of flesh, living as a man, being a man, the God-man, and ultimately living a perfect life, experiencing all of the same things that you and I do, from temptation to pain to hunger to thirst, but yet without sin. Ultimately dying on a cross to pay the sin debt that you and I owe. And then God, he was raised from the dead. And because of that, we can be assured of our final resurrection. Where we will be glorified and spend eternity in heaven with God. And so, I wanted to follow up on that sermon and... And think a little bit today about how do we respond to the love of God? What should your response, what should my response be to the love of God? And so I want to to take our text from Deuteronomy. But first, let me ask you a question. What is your first impression when you hear words like commands, judgments, statutes, laws, rules? Is it positive or negative? Well, if we would be honest, many times our first impression is one uh, that is negative because we like to do things the way we like to do them. You know, why in the world is the speed limit 25 in this place? There's no reason that it can't be at least 40. I know you've never said that, but I have. You know, it's a stupid law or it's a stupid rule. Some of you folks at school, why in the world... Do they have these kind of rules? Well, it's because of some of the knotheads out there that create problems for us. But the reality of it is, is that they are there for a purpose. And in reality, we've come to appreciate uh, the need for rules, for laws, uh, to bring order uh, to families and to the society in which we live, even though we still like to resist them. Someone once said uh, the last thing to be saved for a Christian was his right foot. Some of y'all will get that after a while. But we, we resist. And so let's think a little bit about <clears throat> the, the laws of God and why we have them and what our response to should be. And so, if you are physically able, I'd like for you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as he tested him, as you tested him at Massa. You should diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, 
that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God with our good, you know, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together uh, in worship. And I pray, Lord, that as we worship today, that you will teach us and uh, that we will have encountered you today in a very real and a personal way. And we look forward to see what you're going to do in our midst. Uh, guide me as I uh, bring uh, this message today, and we're going to give you the praise and the glory for it all, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so Deuteronomy is uh, it's a book that was written by Moses, sort of his last I mean, uh, statement, uh, as he uh, was dealing with the Israelite people. It's a book of reformation, calling for the renewal of the covenant relationship that had been established uh, earlier. Uh, he wanted the Israelites to understand it well and to follow it and, and to obey uh, the, the commands of that covenant relationship as they entered into the promised land. The book is characterized by exhortation or preaching, appealing to all who believe the covenant to live by its stipulations. Uh, these stipulations or commands in the covenant relationship were given by God because of the love of God which is one of the dominant themes throughout the book of Deuteronomy. The focus of this passage that we just read is that obedience brings blessing. You see, their going in and taking this promised land <clears throat> was he, was, he was calling for their obedience. He says, if you will obey my commands, then it will be for your good. And you will prosper, you will take this land. Uh, now, we've already seen that one generation did not take the promised land. And so there's nothing to keep the next generation from not taking it if they're not walking in obedience. And so uh, we need to understand that uh, the prosperity or blessing that God is talking about here is not a financial prosperity. Now, he may bless you financially, uh, but it's a prosperity that comes through an intimate, personal relationship with God the Father, and we will experience joy and peace and fulfillment in that relationship as we walk in obedience to Him. And so I want us to think a little bit about why God has given us these commands, why we have His Word, and what our response to His love is. We've already stated that the covenant relationship and these, the stipulations of it were given because of God's love for the people. And so, because God loves us, he has given us commands or statutes to follow. 
In uh, verse 23 and 24, we read, He brought us from out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. You see, he's given, a, he's, he's given the Israelites these commands, and he desires for them to follow it, and it's for their good. And Romans 6.16, let's take a look at that. It speaks to, to this principle of obeying commands. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. <clears throat> Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. You see, we can proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ all day long. But if we're walking in disobedience, the reality of it is is that we are slaves to sin, not to Jesus Christ. And so God desires for us to walk in obedience to him uh, because that's what should flow out of our desperate and deep love for him and so we need to to walk in obedience we need to understand that god desires good things for us jeremiah 29 11 says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope you think about the marriage relationship See, God has given us these rules, these commands, his laws, because he loves us and he desires for us to have good things and to experience life at its richest and fullest. The marriage relationship, for instance, he's given us regulations about the marriage relationship. He says that for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Wives, respect your husbands. He says, do not commit adultery. And so there are rules and parameters for the marriage relationship, not because God doesn't want us to enjoy it, because he wants us to enjoy it to the very fullest. Because when we begin to step outside of the boundaries that God has created, there are significant ramifications that break down the the intimacy and the trust. And there are problems. And we don't experience the fulfillment that God originally designed. And so he's put those rules and regulations there. You young people, when you are not following the rules that God has laid out for intimacy, you take baggage into a marriage relationship that's going to create problems for you in that. So we need to understand that the rules, the laws, the the commands that God has given us just as in the marriage relationship, for all of life are put there in order that you and I might be free to experience God at His fullest. Because 
as in your notes there, the commands of God are designed to free us to experience His love at its very best. And so that's why those commands are there. <clears throat> Annie Johnson Flint speaks of God's love in her poem, What God Hath Promised. It goes like this, God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, or peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. You see, God desires the very best for us. Yet many of us settle for what we can provide for ourselves rather than experiencing all that God desires to give us. And so what should our response to God's commands be? It should be to obey him. Back in Deuteronomy verse 17, you should diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And then look down in, in verse 24. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. He's commanded us to obey him. And if you get to the, the last part of this, it says in verse 25, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commands us. Now, he's not talking about a legalistic religion where that we are counted righteous because we can keep X number of rules. But again, he's talking about that if we keep these commandments, it's a display or it's, it's, it's a, a credible witness to a true saving faith in our lives. If you're walking in disobedience, I would first of all encourage you to evaluate your salvation. Have you had some emotional experience? Have you prayed some prayer but never really confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, surrendered the control of your life to him? doesn't mean you're going to do that perfectly every day. But there's going to be that heart's desire to walk in obedience to God and bring honor and glory to his life. You're going to desire to, to know him through a reading of his word. You're going to desire to deal with the sin that's in your life, and you're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit over that sin. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit as to whether or not you're truly saved. You can know. So if you're, if you're struggling with walking in disobedience, first of all, evaluate your own salvation. And so we're to obey him. Mark Twain encountered a ruthless businessman from Boston during his travels who boasted that nobody ever got in his way once he determined to do something. He said, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai, and when I'm up there, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top of my voice. Unimpressed, Twain responded, I got a better idea. Stay in Boston and keep them. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But we often profess to believe something, yet walk in disobedience. Our lives give a very different message sometimes than what we say. 
And when we walk in obedience, then our lives give credibility to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it brings honor and glory to him. And we find peace and joy and fulfillment in that intimate relationship with God. So what do we do in order to obey him? Uh, I want us to look at several steps that I, I think will help us in order to move our and shift our lives from where we are today to a life of obedience. Now, when we think about it, sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I'm not really disobedient. I'm a pretty good person. We look around us and we look at, uh, at all of the turmoil and stuff that's out there. And uh, I say, well, you know, I hadn't committed murder. I hadn't committed adultery. I hadn't stolen anything since I was six. So I'm a pretty good guy. I was counseling with, uh, you know, sharing with a young man who was separated from his wife not too long ago. And he said, you know, I've really looked at my life and, and all of the things that I might have done to create this problem. And I think I've fixed all of that. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you might need to take a look at what you didn't do. You see, we look at our lives and say, well, I haven't done this, 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 or this, you know, in terms of disobedience, but... Many of our, much of our disobedience is omission. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Wives, do you respect your husband and honor him? Are you his witness in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth? Have you got a friend that's got something against you you hadn't gotten right with yet? You know, the list could go on and on. Men, are you spiritual leaders in your home? You see, this young man may not have done anything too majorly wrong, but had he really been the spiritual leader in his home? This happened on his watch. We need to take seriously. Not only those things that the Bible says don't do this, but are we omitting the things that it does say to do? So we need to walk in obedience. How do we do that? I think as we come, first of all, we need to know God. And as we come to know Him, we're going to love Him. We can't help but love Him if we know Him. And then we're going to believe Him. And then, because we believe Him, we're going to trust Him. And then we can walk in obedience. Because we've got to give Him all that we are. And so let's break that down just a little bit. Step one in, in obedience is to know Him. How do we know Him? God reveals Himself to us by what He does. When God works through us to accomplish His purposes, we come to know God by experience. You know, when I first, you know, met Jerry Ann, 
That's my wife for those of you that might not know. You know, I thought she was attractive. And, you know, I could see that she was a lot of fun. But, you know, the more I came to know her and understand the kind of person she was, a generous, loving, forgiving person who desired to, to follow God and honor Him. And as time went on, who loved our children and would do anything in the world for them, who would protect me. If somebody had something to say about her, it was okay, but if they said anything about me or one of her children, she'd get the claws up. You know, the more I know her, the deeper my love grows for her. That's the way it is with God. When, when uh, Jerry Ann and I were serving as missionaries in Eastern Africa, you know, our plan was to retire there. We came home for Christmas and uh, visiting our family, and we went back to Nairobi, Kenya, where we were living at the time, and we both arrived at a, a sense of God's doing something in our life. And you know, just maybe He wants us to go back to the United States for a time. And uh, I'm serving on the regional leadership team, so I got to deal with all of this mess, you know, that men deal with, like pride and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you're going to quit now? But we, anyway, we, we took a weekend, and we found a hotel room out away from the house, and we just spent time on our face seeking God's will for our life. And we both came away from there with the realization that God wanted us to come back to the United States for a time. And so we, uh, we told our regional leader that at the, in June when uh, our youngest daughter finishes school for the year, we're going back to the United States. I'll give you time to find a replacement. And so we came home in late June of that year, no job. Um, in July, we interviewed here with Wade and the CLT, and uh, by the grace of God, y'all gave us something to do. And that's been growing. Uh, and it's been a, a joy and a privilege for me to serve here. And within less than a year, Jerry Ann was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, our first grandchild had just been born. You know, her mother had been become bedridden, and that was one of the, the issues that God was using. And so her parents were older. And then within the first two years, she lost both of her parents. And we walked through that time of cancer, and this church loved on us and supported us. You see, we can look back and see how God had, was leading us to put us in the most wonderful position for Him to meet our needs. Every need that we had. A church family that would love us and support us and give us uh, the, the time that we needed to deal with the cancer. And in close enough proximity for her to spend time with her mom and dad until they passed. We're now the primary caregiver for my dad, one of them. And so we can see how God orchestrated all of that to put us in a position to meet every need that we had and teach us some wonderful things along the way. 
You see, that's what I'm talking about. We had to move out in obedience to his leadership to bring us away from that original call to international missions to come back to what we didn't really know what it was going to look like. But he revealed himself to us in such a special way. And so we can come to know him. We can also come to know Jesus Christ through his word. Jesus expressed himself to his disciples by saying, in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am the light of the world. In John 10, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the way, the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 15, I am the true vine. You see, God's word is a revelation of himself to you and me. It's a record of his activity in the lives of his people to bring about our redemption. And as we engage God's word, we can't help but know him. God is eternally holy and righteous and just. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's, he's, he is love. He keeps his promises. He's faithful. He never changes. You can just go on and on and on. And as we come to know this God, we can't help but move to step two, and that's to love him. You know, a God that's done all that he's done for us, we can't help but love him when we stop and, and we really get to know him. So step two in obedience is to love him. Deuteronomy 6, 5, we find the great commandment there. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, we find it repeated. When the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He said, we're to love him. And not just love him at a distance. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. To love him with all that you are. We love because he first loved us. We find that in 1 John four nineteen. We demonstrate our love for him by loving others. Certainly, we cultivate that intimate relationship with God. We spend time with him, and, and, and we grow in our love for him through an intimate personal relationship. But that's really, other people are not going to see that so much. But we, demonst- excuse me, we demonstrate that by serving others. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you love God so much that you're willing to die for someone else? Now, we may not be called to die for someone else, but we're certainly called to sacrificially minister to others. You know, I believe that's what Jesus' cross was all about. It was a sacrificial, redemptive ministry on the behalf of others. When in Luke 9.23, it says, if, you, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When I look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and I see what he went through for 
us on our behalf. I believe our cross is a sacrificial, redemptive ministry on the behalf of others. It's not your mother-in-law. And we need to take that seriously. To walk in obedience. To love God because He first loved us. And demonstrate that love through sacrificial, redemptive ministry for others. God is love and His will will always be best. When you know someone really cares about you, when you know someone really loves you, you know that they desire the very best for you, don't you? We didn't always agree with mom and dad, but we, we knew they had our best interest in, at heart. At least in later years, we figured that out. Some of you are still figuring it out. Never look at circumstances in life without seeing them on the backdrop of the cross. You see, there comes times in our lives where we think that we've taken about all we can take. Where we just don't know where we're going to turn. But we can know that God loves us. And we need to return that love to Him. And walk in obedience to Him. You see, Jesus Christ, as He was praying in the garden, He cried out, If there's any way this cup could pass from me, let it be. But not my will be done, but yours. He didn't want to have to go through all of that suffering and pain and separation from the Father as He became sin on our behalf. But there was a submissive yielding to the will of the Father. There are going to be trial and tribulation that we have to go through in life. And we need to lovingly submit to the will of the Father because He loves us first. And He desires good things for us. So as we come to know Him, we can't help but love Him. And step three is to believe Him. Look at what he has done. You know, when I left the field, I didn't know what it was all going to look like. But as I look back from this point, you know, I see God's blessing in my life. In this chapter right here, in verse 20, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. You see, he said, when the question comes up, what's all this about? Just recount what I have done. I have already proved myself faithful. I have already been active in your lives. And you simply need to look at how faithful I've been. And you can believe me because I've proved myself to be faithful. In Numbers 14, 11, is a, we find this in the midst of an account where it was time for the uh, Israelites to go into Egypt, I mean, into the land of Canaan. 
and Moses had sent out 12 spies. And they had come back, and Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that brought a good report and said, we must go in and take the land because God is with us. Ten of the spies brought a bad report. They talked about that we look like grasshoppers in the sight of these guys. They're huge. The cities are walled and fortified. Why in the world have you brought us out here in this desert land in order that our children and our wives will become spoiled for these folks? They got together and uh, they said, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow, that's smart. Look what God said in 1411. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? You know, you and I are just like these Israelites. Many times we walk in total disobedience to God. We worry about this and that. When all we simply need to do is to believe God is faithful and just and He is going to provide everything that we need. How long will we spurn Him despite all that He has done for us? The ways in which He has proved Himself faithful and believable. We do it. God is all-knowing. His directions are always right. Step four in obedience is to trust Him. If we know Him, we can't help but love Him, and we will believe Him because He has proved Himself believable. And then when we believe Him, we will trust Him. And this trust is not something that we just say we trust Him. Trust brings transformation in your life. It means you're going to trust Him with your finances. It means you're going to trust Him with your family. I was talking uh, with a guy this week whose daughter and her husband and family are, are going as missionaries down into South America. He said, well, you know, we're struggling with that. This happens to be in a South American country where there's quite a bit of not-so-safe activity going on. But you see, when we trust Him, we have to trust our children to Him. If He chooses to call them to a very dangerous place in order that those people that desperately need to hear the gospel will have a gospel witness. It means that we may have to re evaluate our budget in order that we can give to the work of God. It may mean that we need to evaluate our work situation. It could mean any different thing, number of things for any one of us. But it means that we're going to trust Him. And our lives are going to demonstrate that we trust God to handle whatever comes our way. We're going to trust Him. Verse 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested Him at Massa. Massa is a testing place in the wilderness of Sinai near Mount Horeb. This story is found back in Exodus chapter 17, and of course the Israelites 
uh, had gone out into the desert. They came here to camp, and they had no water. And here again, they began to grumble. They were displeased. They wanted Moses to provide water. Now, they had just seen ten plagues brought against the Egyptians and being delivered by his strong hand. They had just seen the waters of the Red Sea parted, and they walked around on dry ground. You know, these are folks that had already seen the power and might of God. They, we need to recognize the omnipotence of God and not put him to the test. You see, to test God... Some translations use tempt, but I believe to test is a better translation there. To test God is to make upon him demands or requirements that are inappropriate, either to his nature and character or to the circumstances. Jesus quoted this text in response to Satan when he was uh, told to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple and that God would send his angels to protect him. The point is not that God could not have rescued him, but that such an act would trivialize, trivialize the power of God and his care for those he loves. You see, we're not to presume upon God, but to walk in trust. It's very different. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you our potter, and all of us are the works of your hand. God's created us. He's molding and shaping us, and we need to allow him to do his work. We need to trust him as we walk through difficult times of life. We need to trust him. Romans 4, 20 through 21 says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. He's speaking of Abraham here. What God has promised, he is able also to perform. We need to trust him. God's blessing in life are dependent upon our obedience. He disciplines those whom he loves. When we step out of line, you see, he's given us these commands, these statutes, these laws in order that we might experience him to the fullest. He desires for us to obey him. His commands are to prosper us and give us life to the fullest. Today, he wants you to respond to his love through a life of obedience. And we can walk in obedience as we come to know him, as we diligently surrender to him and allow him to work in our lives. We'll know him through experience as we diligently seek uh, his face and his character through the word of God. We're going to know him by his word. And when we truly know him, we cannot help but fall deeply in love with him because of all he's done for us. And we're going to believe him. And trust Him and our lives are going to be transformed. And we're going to walk in obedience because we know that He has our best interest at heart. And that regardless of what happens, we can trust Him.
But we need to respond to him in obedience today. That's how we respond to the love of God. Let me give you two points of application and we'll be done. Obedience to God is a choice. Choose today to obey him, whatever that's going to look like. Something may have to change if you begin to walk in obedience, to trust him with every area of your life and obey him. And then faithfully teach the commands of God to your children. Here's the way D.L. Christensen said it. D.L. Christensen said the the continuity, excuse me, the continuity of faith within the context of a religious community depends on the observance of that faith within the context of individual families. Though it is probable that parents carried a greater responsibility in general for the education of their children in ancient Israel than is the case today, the principle remains true. If parents cannot embody that faith and inculcate it responsibly to their children, the very existence of the faith community is in jeopardy. You see, it's not the church's primary responsibility to teach your children. We're a help. We're a support in there. It's not the family goes as the church goes, but it's the church goes as so goes the family. As men and women, we've been given awesome responsibility to teach our children to obey the commands of God and walk in covenant relationship. We need to take that very seriously. 